all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 274 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the western half of the Winston-Salem Northern Beltway episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that the proposed designation for the western half of the upcoming Winston-Salem Northern Beltway is actually interstate 274. And with that wonderful little bit of proposed future interstate knowledge, I, of course, am Matt, and coming to us live from Texas is none other than our sunny Californian, Tim! Yes, sorry. I'm used to. He really is live. Uh, Yes, I'm used to there being like a cooler between us. It's been a while since we're actually soberly looking at one another from not. At least, I guess we were never really that afar before, but I guess in sober setting, in a sober setting, in a more sober setting, yes, it it feels much closer, you and I. <laughs> well, it is, and I was conveniently able to not look at you during that whole awkward thing because uh, my, my Firefox on my tablet crashed, and so I was having to reset it. So that I wouldn't lose everything that I just spent the last 20 minutes trying to get done. Deep down, he actually meant to say that uh, he would have gotten lost in my blue eyes. Hey, we've got the looking lovingly thing into each other's eyes. We can put... Well, now it's not fun anymore because I just said it. But yeah, we already (laughs) made that joke right before we started recording. But you know, yeah. So, how are you? What, What are you doing here this time? Um, I'm doing good. I ate way too many IHOP pork sausages before coming over here this morning. Um, is it unlimited pork sausage day at IHOP? IHOP? No, is it ever unlimited pork sausage day anywhere? I don't anywhere? know. I, I don't know. Well, no, some, sometimes you can do, they have the uh, unlimited pasta thing at Olive Garden and you can add Italian sausage to that. And they'll keep bringing you really? Italian sausage. Yeah. You can really do that. You can really do. Has that, that always? Been I a haven't thing? done that in two or three years now. But yeah, the last time I went really? to Olive Garden was specifically for that, just because I wanted some fettuccine Alfredo and I didn't want to pay nine dollars for it. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, I'll go ahead and pay like ten dollars for it, and then at least I can get a couple bowls of it, you know, instead of just one little thing. And then they were like, oh, well, you can throw on Italian sausage or meatballs. Either either or, and then it was like two to your bucks. salad. Yeah, no, no, to to the to the um to whatever your pasta dish was. Oh, for the and unlimited. Yeah, okay, for the I unlimited thought... pasta, and they're like, okay. yeah, it's like two bucks more, and I'm like, oh well, hey, I'll do that. Give me some Italian sausage. So either I thought you said you were talking about the unlimited salad and breadsticks at Olive no. Garden, or I wanted you to be talking about the unlimited <laughs> salad and breadsticks because no, I just no, picture never you know, possible. <laughs> yeah, would you like salad and breadsticks for your meal? Yeah, would you like to add Italian sausage? Yeah, to that I don't know. Look, salad. I mean, I get that I'm a, I get that I'm fat and everything, but I, I, I even thought, I have limits. Like, I gotta make this salad a little less healthy. <laughs> I just thought, well, maybe kids these days are more spoiled or becoming more spoiled. That you know, I, when I was younger, the idea of going to Olive Garden was cool because. Uh, my parents didn't have it, have a ton of money. We but... didn't know what a good Italian restaurant was. Well, that is true. Yeah, <laughs> and it was more a little more affordable. It was always kind of a nice place. But right. it's like, wow, all these salad and breadsticks 
you can eat. This is amazing. Right. And now it's like, well, kids aren't just going to come, want to come here and beg their parents to come here for just our measly old salad and breadsticks. We need to add Italian sausage to that salad. That'll bring the kids in. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just, that's their one, I don't know that they do it like one time a year or whatever, but I'm not sure. When the pasta it is, with the yeah, the never-ending okay. pasta is gotcha. like a one-time. Like I like I've seen a commercial for uh, Red Lobsters, like never-ending shrimp, shrimp or something like that. Yeah. So I imagine it's it's akin to that. They do that like once a year, and yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't been to Red Lobster for many many moons. I, I when when I can afford seafood. I generally go to Landry's because they have pretty good seafood here. So I wonder if it's ever going to get to that point when, because they're saying that uh, millennials now or uh, the older millennials, because I guess it's, I mean, there, there's, there are two groups of millennials. You have the older millennials who grew up when things were still analog, I guess. And then you had the ones that came in, born directly into the digital age, or grew up in more so in the digital age. Right. And so uh, there's obviously the more spoiled millennials and the maybe not so spoiled millennials. I, I guess because I'm one of those aforementioned in between weenies, the zillennials or right. whatever they call them. But um, and, I'll, and I'll be 41 in June, so millennials even the spoiled millennials that we think of are like in their 20s and 30s now well early 20s you're, because it, it runs the gamut one of those like that's you're 28 now right 29 29 but it, okay. i'm still technically the earlier millennial because the millennials apparently goes from if you're born in uh i think it's if you're born in 86 87 through 1990, like the late 90s, that's all considered millennials. Wow. So that's what I was saying. Like, so at least if you're born in the 80s or maybe 1990, you're still used to like cassette tapes, you know, or, or I, I know what a cassette tape is. Right. You know, uh, watch TV with an antenna. I can still get those, you know, those jokes, you know, my, the jokes that my parents would make uh, or my old, my family would make. But then you had the younger millennials, born in the later 90s, early 2000s, who grew up with watching stuff on YouTube, YouTube personalities, and they didn't know right. what bunny ears were on top of the TV or putting tinfoil on a kid and having him try to find a signal, you know, stuff. I and mean, we didn't really do that, but I mean, just like little things Assume like that. Assume the Fox viewing position. But, yeah. Married with children. But they're talking about how kids, the millennials now, are not going to want to spend money later on in the future because a lot of millennials aren't going to be making that much money when they're older for whatever reason. And so they're not going to want to go out and go, go you know, they're, they're going to be more picky as to where they're going to eat. So I'm wondering between like Red Lobster, the Olive Garden, Macaroni Grill, all of these kind of middle class Thursday, Friday, Saturday night family restaurants, if they're going to start like trying to fuck each other over. I thought they were all owned by the same company now anyway. Probably so. I yeah. thought like it was Darden's International or something owned Land well, literally Land like... Landry's owns all of Landry's. They, right. Landry's owns what? The Rainforest Cafe. Rainforest Cafe. And uh, they also own um, the... It's not Is it the Tusker House at Disney? They own they own one of the restaurants in, the, in Animal Kingdom. Like you oh, actually really? go into the Animal Kingdom and you go there and it's... I really... Uh, Jen and I really liked, uh, like going there... 
took my dad there when we went last time. And, um, yeah, you can go in, you can like literally use your little Landry's membership card and get all the preferential treatment and status and stuff like that. So, yeah. But if I had to choose my favorite corporate owned chain of restaurants, it would have to be the Papa's or the Papa's chain of restaurants. You know, um, I, barbecue. I do not like Papa's Barbecue. Papa Do's? Do you like Papa Do's? Papa Do's Seafood. I have been there once. It was okay. And Papa Cito's is decent. Uh, I haven't been there in many years, though, mainly because my wife has issues relating to why Papa's Barbecue exists. So, Like stomach issues? No. After eating there? No, no. Papa's oh. Barbecue... Um, did a hostile takeover of Luther's Barbecue here in Houston. That's right. And who was the president and CEO of Luther's? Oh, family member. Yeah. Yeah. My, her my, uncle? Or her, no, my, her dad. Her dad. My, okay. Yeah, my father-in-law. Yeah. So they eventually, uh, they did a hostile takeover and then they forced him out. Really? So, yeah. So the oh, SL- and, 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 fun story. Not only did they try to force, not not only did they force him out, they tried to fire him with without severance. Really? Did they yeah. try giving him Papa's gift no, cards? No, they literally <laughs> just tried to say, "Okay, well, thanks for everything. You're out." Oh. And he had to, and so he was like, um, "Yeah, I hate to break it to you guys, but you know." And he was, and the sad part was, is it's not that he didn't see the writing on the wall; it's that he was, he really was trying to work with them. And, you know, fully integrate all of Luther's into uh, Papa's seamlessly, you know, and he was really trying to do that. And, um, and you know, basically it just came down to, well, too many people know that you're Luther's, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're the face of Luther's, so we're just going to let you go. And he's like, oh, okay. And they're like, and they're literally like, yeah, turn your keys, you can leave. And he's like, no, that's not how this works. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. They're like, yeah, that's, that's how, that's how we do things here. And he's like, yeah, well, you see, I have this wonderful little document, you know. And so he did. He had to go get the actual um, Luther's corporate do- corporation documents. Did and he stuff. give it to him on, on a beat platter? Because that's how I don't know. But basically, he ended up getting um, a you know the, the typical golden parachute thing. Yeah. And they were not happy about that. But that's okay. Fuck them. Well, good for so, him then. Yeah. At least he had not so, necessarily the like he knew what was right. Yeah. And so my and so naturally and then and about two or three weeks before we went to um but before he ended up leaving, uh they had just converted one of the old Luthers into a Pappas barbecue. Mm-hmm. So we went to try it out because I had never tried Pappas barbecue before. And I went and it was, it was just, it was not good. It was not good. And this was not, I mean, oh, it's, but it's my family. No, 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 no. I didn't like everything at Luther's. So, you know, I got to where I only ordered one or two things at Luther's because that was what I liked, you know. I'm not going to single out the, uh, the Pappas location, uh, that is not in the woodlands off of I-45 in what (laughs) used to be a Luther's. You you notice how, you know, yeah, that location was interesting is that location, um, as I understand it, um, was doing, was doing really, really well prior to the switch. And then they switched and it tanked. And then they 
reworked the original signage and put all of it back up. But now instead of it saying Luther's, it said uh, Pappas. And then business went back up because they it okay. was more associated with what it used know, to be. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Welcome to Company Talk with Matt and Tim. Yeah, yeah. Houston area Company Talk. <laughs> well, well, at any rate, though, so my what, what's funny, though, is so, you know, naturally the, the wife is, is like, you know, we never go there. We're not doing that. Blah, 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 whatever. Um, and if you're hearing abnormally weird sounds in the background, that would be Luther, actually named after the barbecue chain. He's walking on our floors right now and asking for attention. Because that's what he does. Luther, the unofficial mascot of the SLS cast. Yes. He's a cute mascot, though. He is. He's adorable. Yeah. I like so. his, his tail. It's always good to see dogs with their tails that are not cut off. You know? Oh, I love it. Well, and the beautiful thing of this is that it literally generates its own headwinds. I mean, you know. Keeps he, him cool. Yeah. You know, <laughs> everybody so, behind him. And everybody behind him. He can knock things over. It's fantastic. Um, I, mean, I mean, do you ever look at a dog with a little nub on its butt and think, you know what? You would have been so much cuter. Well, I did find out because uh, because Rob, um, he has Britney Spaniels, and they have little nub tails. And I asked him about it. I'm like, why did you cut the tail? I'm like, no, no, no. This this particular breed of dog is actually bred that way. And so at least with certain breeds, not all of them, but there are certain breeds, they're bred with nub tails. So at least... Um, you can you can feel good knowing that not everybody chops their dog's tails off because that's just mean. It's just because it's, I mean, it's weird. Maybe you can tell if somebody chopped the tail off or if it's normally, it, like, because, like, sure. no, you I, know, if, 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 like, if they chopped off the tail, you can still see, like, part of their ass where the ass becomes the tail, <laughs> like that skin awkwardly moving. Well, and that's the thing yeah. is because it looks like, an, it does, it looks like a little nub on these Britney Spaniels, just like if someone were to have taken the tail off. And I'm like, and it's, that's why I was like, why would you do that? That just seems like torture. And that was when I found out. So I guess it depends on the breed. So you would just have to ask the owner. But yeah, I, d- I agree with you. I don't think it's right to. Dog owners out there, tell us. <laughs> yeah. Write back to us. Let us know. How can you tell <laughs> in public whether somebody, whether if a, a dog that has a, a super short tail, if that's a nub tail or. A cut if, off tail. If, a, if it's a cut off tail. This yeah. is pertinent information. We, mu- we must know the science behind. Uh, yes, and you know it's good that we've wasted all this wonderful time uh, talking about corporate chat and dog Next tales we'll because <laughs> because due to our new newly found schedule and everything, um, we're we're actually just doing a news episode this time, and next week's episode is just going to be uh, Ready Player One. So um, so yeah, so this is just kind of you know. Table talk with Matt and Tim th- th- this this week, you know. Is Matt, that was that the show that, that was that the thing that Mike Myers did? You know, I'm happy with the little girl. Oh, that, uh, that, that that's Sprockets. Sprockets. There yeah, you go. Sprockets. Sprockets. What, was, what was his name? Uh, Touch my monkey. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I I don't I don't remember. Gunter. Gunter. Gunter, sound, Gunter sounds right. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So <sighs> you, you didn't make it to Isle of Dogs. I did not. I over the last um, week and a half, I made it to Ready Player One. Yeah, I, you know that I didn't have, but between 
spring break and Easter and having the family and doing school stuff and everything. I it's one of the few times I didn't have any time to go see movies. So when I saw, I, I was like, I don't know if he's going to be ready for this level of disappointment. And then I open up the <laughs> thing. I'm like, yay! <laughs> either he didn't see him either, or he doesn't have time to talk about it. And I'm like, yay! So which, oh, which that which, is hilarious. What, what is the case of uh, man? My my the computer I've been using to type these out. Because this is the first time, ladies and gentlemen, I'm seeing this. Because I'm kind of curious. I'm kind of curious. Okay. I am. I'm going to highlight to see. Oh no, that's weird. Did it, you mean to put Isle of Dogs on there as well? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That, that's <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Oh well. That's so, funny. But so, hey, but there's a lot of talk about Ready Player One, so I'm kind of glad we uh, we can. Well, that's kind of what that. I figured. That's kind of why I figured you would just limit it to that, because between the movie and all the different things about the movie and the and the book tie in and the potential sequel, yes. I thought there was like, oh, okay, well, he really wants to get in on that. But no, I, I I had not seen Isle of Dogs yet, so I was next time. Yeah, stay tuned. Next week, I'll be talking about how much I absolutely love Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One. So, tune in. Well, it might be a really short episode then. Uh-oh. Matt may have forgotten to mute his phone. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Special guest here is Lewis Black. Uh, yeah. Oh, he's, he's reprising his role as anger from inside out. <sighs> anyway. All right. So, um, what do you say? You want to go ahead and start talking some news for a little while? Yes, we should. All right. Yeah. Well, then, here we go, folks. It's the news. <laughs> News, 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 news. Uh, let's see here. I have a ton of news, thankfully, because we're doing a lot of news today. I have all sorts of wonderful stuff. I have stuff about 3D film, The Irishman, uh, a fun little study that psychiatrists did on psychopaths in movies. Um, the uh, attend- While the money is still okay at U.S. theaters. Attendance is way down. And I'm going to get on to Lewis Black right quick. Hang on one second here. Lewis! Keep it quiet! There we go. All right, Lewis can now... Uh, Lewis can now... We're not saying Luther. Say, yeah, not Luther. Not Luther. He just looked up going, what did I do? What did I do? Yes, hi. Um, so, yeah, so we have, uh, that, I also, so, yeah, the attendance is down really bad at, uh, For theaters. 3D movies? No, no, across the board. Oh, okay. Uh, they, all, 3D movies is also a byproduct of that. Uh, but because ticket prices are so high, um, the amount of money, the amount of the money is just barely down a little bit. So we can talk about that. I also have a fun, um, a, a fun op-ed about the very first uh, black superhero movie, Meteor Man. 
1993. Yes. Uh, who was in that? Was that... Everybody? Was Every- Hines... Was, uh, oh, you're thinking Gregory Hines? Is Gregory Hines No, in no. It's... Um, oh, God. Robert Townsend. It's, oh, man. Yeah. Robert, that was one of those Robert movies be, as a kid going, I really want to see that. I like the name Meteor Man. Yeah. And then I never did. Oh, I, I saw it. I can't. I don't think I saw it in the theater. I, I'm pretty sure I saw it on like HBO or something. But I do remember seeing it. Okay. Um, and so yeah, so we can talk about that. I've also got two ter- a bits of Terry Gilliam news because um, someone said it's time to stop holding your breath or something because the trailer came out. Um, only to find out that now there's an injunction against the movie being released, so we'll see what happens there. So we can talk about that if you want. Is it pertaining to what Terry Gilliam said about? Well, Harvey there's Weinstein? two. No, 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 no. There's oh, okay. there's two different pieces. One from today, one from yesterday, um, and. So yeah, so we can talk about that. Okay. I also and and so those are all my different news pieces. So what I mean, I've got a plethora of things to we can talk about. Let's uh what, what do you want to talk about first? Where do you want to dive in? Uh how about the Irishman? The Irishman. All yeah. right. So, here's some fun stuff about the Irishman. This is from indiewire.com by way of Jenna Marota. Uh the Irishman Al Pacino on playing a 39-year-old mobster. The Oscar winner, 77, was tasked with playing a man in his 30s, 40s, and 50s in Martin Scorsese's anticipated Netflix epic. So what this really boils down to, they're doing kind of a Ant-Man thing where Michael Douglas says they were using younger versions of him or whatever. But it turns out that... um, Pacino, though, in this case, is playing Jimmy Hoffa. So he says, quote, I was playing Jimmy Hoffa at the age of 39. They're doing that on a computer. End quote, said Pacino, referencing the tech wizardry employed by Industrial Light and Magic. Pacino explained the computers mounted on the sides of cameras were programmed to capture the actors at various ages, making them appear physically transformed in every frame. Uh, Pacino continues, quote, we went through all these tests and things. Someone would come up to me and say, you're 39. So you recall some sort of memory of 39 and your body tries to acclimate to that and think that way. They remind you of it, end quote. So this is not just, I mean, it's not just going to be as simple as mapping, you know, Pacino when he was younger to a face of Pacino as he's older. They're literally trying to get these actors to physically embody the age at which they're being filmed. Would you think they should have been doing that already? Well, to a certain extent. But I mean, there are certain physicalities. I move differently, you know, well, I guess I don't move that much differently now than I did, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But I will definitely move differently 30 years from now. And to ask me to try and, hey, go bounce up and down on the stairs right quick, you know, or go jog up and down the street. Or, I mean, unless every single scene where they play somebody young is going to be like sitting in a cafe. And my, so it's, it's not the technological wizardry. I don't have any problem with that. And given that they're using people like Al Pacino uh, and Robert De Niro and stuff who have 40, 50 years of screen time 
So they got plenty of footage to pull. So visually, I believe that they'll be able to pull it off. Mm-hmm. At this point, I don't know that the actors can pull it off. And that's kind of my question in regards to this. And I barely read any of this article. I would definitely uh, encourage you to read it. IndieWire.com by way of Jenna Marotta. The Irishman Al Pacino on playing a 39-year-old mobster. Um, do you think that the actors can do it? I mean... I don't know. I think uh, I th- uh, I think Rob De Niro can because I can I, like you see Rob De Niro in these little rom coms that he's been doing lately. Even what's the Bad Grandpa movie? Mm-hmm. The, I, I never saw it, but based on whatever clips or the trailers, sure, the trailer and stuff. Yeah, he can. I mean, he's still you know he's still he still can be goofy and have fun. So I kind of think he can still embody a younger version of himself, and also uh, Rob. Uh, I want to keep freaking calling him Rob Downey Jr. Rob De Niro is, what, six years, I think, younger than Al Pacino? Still 71. True. But Al Pacino has significantly aged. He doesn't really take good care of himself. Al Pacino is a crazy smoker still. Heavy drinker, I believe. Um, Al Pacino has... Uh, aged mentally, he's not really remembering his lines anymore. When I went and saw him, oh, that's right, I... on Broadway, he was in this show called the China, the China Doll, or the China Girl. I forget exactly. And it, there's only two people. It's a duet between two people. Sure. The idea is a good. It's a it's a David Mamet play, and it's you know you could see the possibility of it being good. But every once in a while, Al Pacino would have these monologues, and he'd have some character behind the monologue and you can see him building up to something. And then he takes a moment and he would stand. And the first time you see it, you're like, that's acting. That's acting. He's doing Al Pacino acting. He's taking in the moment. He'll get up and he'll walk across the stage. He'll kind of go behind the couch and he'll do this. And then he'll finish the line. You're like, wow, that's, that's powerful stuff. It's earlier on in the play, but that's powerful <laughs> stuff. But then you notice throughout the play, he just kept doing it. Well, it turned out he had like the lines on the back of the couch. There was like a little prompter or something. And every time he'd stay, forget a line or, uh, or, or need motivation or something, he would stand up and do the same exact move and go behind this couch to get lines. So there's something, I, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm worried that the technology is going to obviously outshine the performance. Cause what we have not seen with this facial mapping, de-aging movie technology, is somebody completely embody that character and pull it off effectively. Even with uh, General Tarpit, whatever his name is, from the last, from Rogue One, Tarkin, Tarpin, Tarpit, Tarpit. Oh, Grand Moff Tarpin, Grand Moff Tarpin, right? Tarpin, Tarpit. I'll just call him Tarpit. Sure. Grand Moff Tarpit. Uh, Grandma, Grandma Tarpet. <laughs> see, with, with that, even with Carrie Fisher, with Leia, it's another actor, and they're trying to make them look exactly like the actors who portrayed them before. Right. Young, but younger. This time around, we're actually getting Al Pacino per, uh, playing a character as if he was a younger Al Pacino who could act. And, I, it, and it's going to be interesting to see him play a younger version uh, and come across as like a spry, talented uh, performance or performer. Does that make any sense? 
Well, yeah, and that's the thing is, is I, and and I guess that's what really what it boils down to for me is, will there, um, will will the actor be able to pull up because it's while he gets to look like a thirty nine year old Al Pacino, more than likely. I mean, I I don't know if they're going to try and make him look like Jimmy Hoffa, um, but will he really be able to act? Like it. And of course, I mean, like, I think they finally got Joe Pesci on board yeah. as well. Um, and I, I saw a picture of Joe Pesci the other day and holy crap, he looks like way different. Um, you know, um, he's been retired for, I think, 10 years. True, true. And, and yeah, years yeah, yeah, so. yeah. He came out like, I think, four years ago and did like this little one off cameo scene in a TV show or something. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and and I don't have any problem with that. I, I don't have any problem with the with with these legends coming back to do the. And I have no problem with them portraying seventy year old men today doing whatever seventy year old men would do. No problem. I I buy into that. My question is really, I I don't I don't know that they'll be able to pull off. I I mean, I guess in terms of physic pure physicality, I can agree that Robert De Niro being the healthiest of them might have a better chance at a 40 or 50 year old version of himself um, or whatever character he's playing. But, but having the best chance is also not necessarily a guarantee. So I don't know. I guess we'll see. I know. And Martin Scorsese says he still makes good movies. So I'm also hoping he's not being, uh, the technology is not holding him back for making this movie, which which I'm sure is going to be, or should be, on paper at least, it's probably a terrific movie. Because it's his, it's the same team. The same team is backing it and making the movie. Right. Minus the big studio. Right. Distributing it. However, one of your favorite Italian character actors is in the movie. Uh, I'm trying to think of his name. I know you're a big fan of him. What was he in recently? He was like a talking head in a movie we reviewed a month or so ago. Um, he was in Blue Jasmine. He is an Italian New Yorker <laughs> dude. I know. I'm completely drawing a blank here. I am so sorry. Uh, name off your favorite little like character actors. Um, Stephen Tobolowsky. No, but he's younger. not. He's um. He's really good at playing like kind of like the macho macho type of guy, the asshole guy with kind of like the heart of gold. At least that's what he kind of played in Blue Jasmine that I can that I can remember. Uh, what I, the hell did we review? Oh, he. It, what did we? Oh shit! Do we just need to pull up Blue Jasmine real quick? <laughs> no, we reviewed a movie. Was it during Oscar season where he? Shit! Oh, damn it! <laughs> I can't <laughs> And this is immediately going to be one of those things Oh, of course, of course Yes Hold uh, Ah, here we go Let me figure out that movie that... Your, your listenership is very important to us yeah. Please hold on the line while we find what it is that we're looking for Looking up the answer to this on IMDb, where would we be at nowhere? Okay, so we recently saw this actor 
in a film. Uh, well, he was in Ferdinand. Oh, uh, I, Tanya. He was in I, Tanya. He, I, he was like a talking head that, like, he worked for a magazine. And they would go to him and interview. Uh, he was actually in Jumanji, possibly as the bad guy in Jumanji. His first name may begin with the letter B. Wait, the original Jumanji? No, the newer Jumanji. He enjoyed it so much. He just... Oh, Robert Cannavale? Bobby Cannavale. Yeah, Bobby Cannavale. Maybe, maybe Matthew. I didn't. Maybe Matthew was not that big of a fan, as big of a fan as I thought he was. No, I, just every time I see him, I know who he is. I, I don't think of him off the top of my head, um, other than the funky tasting punk guy from uh, Sex in the City. Oh, that's right. That's yes. why I know him so well. Hey, you're that funky tasting spunk guy. Yes. So, I mean, and that's that's kind of sad. That's followed him around for almost 20 years now. Yeah. So, there's that. But, um, yeah, okay. So The Irishman. Look forward to funky tasting spunk <laughs> guy. Indeed. So, um, do, okay, so do we want to continue with more of my news, or would you like to talk about oh, some of your let's news? Oh, let's hit up all your news. All your news is good. All my news is good. All right. Well, then, uh, where, do, where do you want to turn? You know what? I really want to do this uh, Terry Gilliam stuff. So, sure. Terry Gilliam, as we all know, has been struggling for 20 years, minimum, uh, to get Don Quixote made. We've got the trailer. The French, the, the, the French trailer was just released. Um, Spanish uh, trailer. I'm sorry, Spanish. Yeah. Thank you. Spanish trailer was just released uh, two days ago. Yesterday, yesterday, the day before. Do, 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 do. So it turns out that yesterday uh, we had a fun time with. Uh, we had a fun time because I literally, really, and truly had just watched the trailer and i was like i wonder if i should tweet out to tim or text tim and be like hey i saw you know saw the trailer and like two minutes later boom i get hit by this tweet oh well Matt, you're not gonna have to hold your breath much longer or whatever and i'm like i literally just watched it so i'm sitting there going okay cool and so uh today but what did you think about the trailer how about that you know i i I must say that given the trailer, I am interested in seeing the movie. I like that they are showing how uh, how Kyoti is is blending the real world with his mythos. And they not only blended the real world with the mythos of Don Quixote, they've made it current. So, for instance, like the wind farm that turns into the windmills and stuff like that. Um, and they just do small little flashes of reality, just little glimpses, like little, seriously, like just little one, two shot frames that just flash out to, to, to constantly reinforce to the viewer that this is actually happening in Prince's mind. And so, uh, yeah, I, I am, so I, 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 I will say I am interested. In seeing this movie now, yeah, I'm interested in seeing a more more of a British trailer for it because it's hard to tell how much of that trailer was catering towards the the Spanish audience. 
You know what I mean? Well, like the fact that it was in English, music. I mean... Yeah, yeah, but it had subtitles. It had subtitles. And that's true. But that's uh, true. It, it looks I like the whimsy of it, so I'm, I'm excited. Yes. I'm excited. So here I am going, okay, well, uh, you know, it is what it is. Well, it turns out that um, according to the playlist.net by way of Charles Barfield from April 4th, um, because and I'm going to go in order here because it's important to get in order. Basically here that, that says that the long in development man who killed Don Quixote uh, has been rife with uh, controversy for the better part of two decades. And uh, there was an eyed release of May of 2018. And then it says now the release date and the film's potential future is once again in peril. Uh, latest controversy is summed up in a recent report by French media outlet France Inter. The basic situation is that back in 2016, Gilliam and producer Paulo Branco reached an agreement about the production of The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. In the agreement, Branco would provide the necessary funding for the project and allow Gilliam to have the creative freedom to fully realize his, his vision in exchange for the rights of the film. After none of the promised funding was provided by Bronco, Gilliam moved on and found another producer to help get the film going. Now, Bronco's saying, hey, that film's mine. I've got a contract here that says this film is mine. And Gilliam's like, no, 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 that contract says the film is yours if you paid me. And he's like, no, no, there's no, there's no stipulation of that. And so now... Oh my. And so now it's like, well, can the movie even come out now? Can the movie even come out? So, uh, that, and that's the issue on that. Moving forward to today's article, or I guess yesterday's article, because this is from April 5th, playlist.net by way of Charles Barfield says Terry Gilliam's The Man Who Killed Don Quixote might get that, uh, can premiere after all. Uh, let's see. It says yesterday that uh, they, they had reported due to a pending legal dispute between uh, filmmaker Terry Gilliam and producer Paul Branco. Uh, the movie was blocked from release and probably not be shown at Cannes. Now it says here that Ocean Films, who's the new uh, financier, says in a press release, Ocean Films and the French producers of Gilliam's upcoming film state that the legal action between Gilliam and Blanco does not affect the release of the film, as was previously thought. In fact, the statement says the film's presentation at prestigious film festivals is, quote, imminent, end quote. Charles here says, imminent, you say? Well, as we look at our calendar, there seems to be a prestigious film festival right around the corner. It says, judging by the statement, it looks like there's a chance that we might, in fact, see Don Quixote at the upcoming Cannes Film Festival. Uh, the statement goes on to say that the recent news about Bronco's claim to rights is an elaborate campaign by the producer to intimidate Gilliam and those involved in the project for a payout of over $4 million. Uh, statement says that Ocean Films and the producers will not be intimidated and will continue to defend the work of Terry Gilliam. So, it looking better, but there, it's not... Even now, it's it went from like hopeless to, you know, to to, to, to there's, there's something real, to something. There's a real light at the end of this yeah. tunnel, but it's not guaranteed. And I just feel like I'm not sure at this point if this is a belated April Fool's Day joke um, or if they're just now wrangling anything they can for drama to get to get asses in seats. 
because there are people like you um, and Gilliam most of all who have um, you know put 20 years of their life into waiting for this movie to come out and then just to keep that you know keep that train rolling keep that oh no we but we were almost there um, you know almost like it creates an artificial demand because now people will go and rush to see it because oh my god we may never get a chance to see this thing again yeah yeah um thoughts sir oh i'm not too worried i think it'll i mean this is his passion project he'll do anything it takes to get this movie in front of people to see it and and hopefully enjoy it i'm more so excited because now i mean they actually made something and i'm guessing it's already finished it's in the can it's ready to be uh, distributed. Obviously, I guess it has to since now it's April. Uh, of, of what I hear, it, I, it sounds obvious that this mm-hmm. other Branca, Bronco, whatever, Broncho, whatever. Bronco, yeah. Bronganus. Bronco, what, yeah. He's trying to screw over Gilliam for money. And yes, to make, I, and to I agree. Kind of, yes. and, and I think it's so obvious that we have nothing to worry about. Unless it comes out that uh, it, it turns out Gilliam is... You know, he screwed up somewhere, and he did take money from him in the past. Oh, I don't know that there was any money taken for the project. My guess is that there is... The way the contract was written was... It's almost as if Gilliam signed away the rights first and is now awaiting payment that never came. Yeah. Now, if the contract is actually written that way, you know, kind of like if I advance you credit, you know, and then you go buy a TV... Well, technically that TV's mine, but the contract says the TV's yours. Uh, and until I get my payment for that TV, I now have to go through lawyers and law to, to reclaim that property. Gilliam might have that avenue, and I assume that Ocean Films is clearly in that camp because they're like, fuck you, you didn't give us any money. Even if it is just a Hail Mary extortion attempt, at this point, it would not surprise me if it were enough to keep it out of the theater. Matt will patiently continue not holding his breath, but Tim will be waiting in the wings with bated breath. I will. Even if I have and, to do it on like VOD or something, yeah. like I, that's fine. I just want to see this. I want to see it. And and, um, and I will be there with you in spirit, <laughs> or if we can swing it, we'll go and see this movie. Yeah. Because Maybe it'll come out late enough, like in the summer, we could go to Kansas City and go, and go to that old oh, movie, the movie theater. theater. Oh, the movie theater. Oh, that'd then, be great. You know, yeah. But of course, we're going to get there, and it turns out, sorry, um, uh, uh, Tyler Perry's latest Medea movie is in higher, higher demand. Acrimony 2. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, his latest movie about divorce and... Custody. Yeah. Well, and you know, and, and just on a side note, I, I, as you know, I'm a big Redditor and everything, and, 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 uh, there were people going on about the acrimony and stuff. And of course, once again, critically panned and everything. You know, and, and there are people, so there was a thread about it, and. That's the latest one with Taraji yes. P. Henson, right? Yes. P. Henson? She's basically like, uh, Sally Field's character in Mrs. Doubtfire, and she's just like, she can't deal with her husband anymore. He's just not, hip with it uh he doesn't seem to really have the same life goals and is just content to kind of putter out um well it nearly it either does cost them their house or nearly cost them their house and she's like that's it fuck it i'm out she divorces him and then like i don't know a, a, a rich uncle dies or he bought a lottery ticket the next day and so he ends up like fucking loaded and then she goes after him because 
no, fuck you. What, what, how, how is it that you end up with all the money? Uh, and that's kind of the idea behind the movie. There were people talking about it actually in the movie pass subreddit and, you know, there's so many people trashing this movie and a couple of people, well, I mean, I like the movie and I'm like, I, people just don't understand. It's just like they refuse to accept. I think that's what it is at this point. People refuse to accept that Tyler Perry knows he has an audience. There are people who love Medea movies. There are people who love, you know, anything that he does in that vein. And he knows that. And he doesn't make the movies for the critics. He makes the movies for the audience that loves his movies. Right. And, and to be fair, he knows that, uh, more than likely his audience don't hold his movies to the highest regards. As, Correct. They, yeah. they, yeah. And the people, and the people who are seeing his movies, um, are like you. They, they, they understand they're just going to the movies just for fun. They're, they're, they're not waiting for the next roots or anything like that. This is not like, um, you know, meant to be taken in a, awards caliber vein. No, they're just going out to have fun at the movies. And yet people still trash him for it. And I'm like, guys, you're just, if you don't like his movie, that's okay. But don't dog on him because he, he has an audience and he has a following and he gives them what they want. Clearly it paved the way to like a billion dollar empire for him. So who's, who's the one that you should be thinking like is more correct? You, because his movie isn't what you like or him. Who's making a billion dollars? I don't know. Uh, you know. But I will say that every time I'm watching a trailer and it starts off like very, like you don't know where the trailer's going, but you know it's a comedy. And it's like there's one phase you can always count on to solve whatever issue is happening that this trailer was building up. You know, one phase that you can count on for any issue like this. And I'm like, it's fucking Medea. It's fucking Medea. <laughs> and it's fucking Medea. And it's like, oh, man. Medea. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if it gets to the point where it's like Medea's first crawl boil or, you know, something like that. Just like, you know, very specific. Party. Yeah, yeah. It's like, like movies like that, there's so many of them. They're just so specific. And that's, I think that's what gets me. That's what gets me. But, you know, of, of course, you know, I will be the first to say as well, or maybe the second to say, that he knows his audience, and if people like to go see him, and this goes for any movie, at, at least he at least he attempts to put a message in his movies. This is true. And, yeah. and it goes to any filmmaker in that vein, right? This is not just a Tyler Perry thing. I mean, you take a film like Terry Gilliam, for, existent, for, for existence, for instance... Um, who has a very dedicated following for anything that he does. Um, a, a little bit more current in terms of generationally speaking, um, Kevin Smith. I mean, the Viewisk Universe. Anything that he does, I mean, he's got a dedicated following. Uh, I mean, for crying out loud, Tusk came about because they were joking about it on one of his podcasts. And then they ended up making a movie, right? So... um you know, that at least made a few million bucks and everybody made money. So, yeah, um, uh, yeah. I mean, there, there, there are filmmakers out there who just understand how to give their audience what they want. So, Except for the Fifty Shades movies, those can stay down on the floor. <laughs> Bound to the floor, 
with their ball gag. Bound to the floor. Bound nice, to the floor. nice choice of words. All right. Uh, let's see here. Um, let's see. So how about, let's see. Do we want to talk about, um, let's, do you want to talk about some theaters? Let's talk about, let's about some theaters. Theaters. Okay. So let's talk. First, we'll go to 3D film specifically. Okay. The niche. The niche. Again, from playlist.net. Uh, also by Charles Barfield. Is the 3D film fad finally coming to an end? Says here that ticket sales have been tabulated for 2017 and it doesn't look good for 3D films. It's only been just eight years since James Cameron blew the doors off of 3D films with his epic Avatar in 2009. That film helped catapult 3D ticket sales to an astronomical $2.2 billion in 2010, ushering in what was supposed to be the wave of the future. However, since 2010, sales of 3D tickets have decreased each year, with 2017 being the lowest. According to a recent report by the Motion Picture Association of America, 2017 saw an 18% decrease in 3D ticket sales from the previous year, with a total of $1.3 billion. This resulted in the worst showing for 3D films at the box office since 2009, the year before Avatar. Now, some might point to the fact that all ticket sales are trending down for theaters, but the drops are much more significant for 3D films. General ticket sales in 2017 were only off 2%. From the previous year. So um, now that was about the first half of the article there. It's not a very long article. The second half of the article kind of speculates on what the differing factors were. So things like, you know, lack of showcase movies like Gravity or, you know, he lists uh, Alice in Wonderland. Um, and then, of course, a lot of the 3D films that we're seeing are just repurposed. They're not actually filmed for or in 3D, Converting they are just simply yeah doing yeah. post conversions for superhero movies, uh, primarily the Marvel movies. So um, his question, the, or his his ultimately, uh, or his the <laughs> ultimately what he's saying is that he the the only potential hope for uh, Mister Barfield here, he feels that the only hope left will be the avatar sequels which don't come out till 2020 at this point so we're still three years away from the rescue potential rescue of 3d films and his question is will it be too late and my answer is oh i think so i i wholeheartedly think so i thought ready player one was going to be a big 3d movie and i was pretty shocked to see at at most of the theaters around la or at least my area in la there weren't that many 3D showings at all. I mean, once I looked at the ticket price, oh, actually, after I saw the movie, I'm glad I didn't pay for 3D because it's not the best, you know, it, like the camera moves around so much and there's yeah. so much shit going on. It would have probably given me a heart attack or a stroke or something <laughs> like that because there's, there's too much shit to process and then having it pop out at you or, you know, just correct. And, and you would think, though, but and you would think, though, that that would be a film. That they would have really and truly tried to work native 3D IMAX into the production, at least the CGI side, sure. for sure. Uh, which is something we'll talk about next week because it's one of the it's one of the few things I really really liked about that movie. Um, because the whole idea is that it's a VR world. Well, wouldn't you want to make it so that people 
in the real world could experience it at least as closely as possible. Sure. Um, for going to the movie theater. And I also, I will, t- I mean, we'll expand more next, next week, but like you, I saw it in 2D. Um, and I was just fine having saw it in 2D. Yeah. So, um, and, and I don't know. I, 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 don't, I think 3D is more or less going to go the way of the dodo. I think, um, and I don't, well, I guess I say the way of the dodo. I don't think it's ever going to go away. I do think, however, it's going to be pretty much relegated into its, um, and back into a niche aspect, but something that will still at least have a theater, a screen or two dedicated to it at the theater so that people who want to see it can. Yeah, I don't think 3D is ever going to fully go away because you're going to have your James Camerons. Sure, absolutely. And, yeah. You know, it's going to be like, okay, well, I want, they're, they're, uh, I'm going to make movies with the thought, with the creative thought put into it to where you're going to be brought uh, into this world if you go see it in 2D. You know, you're going to be fully enveloped in it, but you're going to be more so immersed into it if you watch it in 3D. Right. So we already have the technology to show this stuff, so it's not going to go away. But what we are seeing now are uh, larger formatted screens with the Dolby Atmos surround sound with speakers everywhere or the IMAX surround sound. All of this, like now, now the focus is on a uh, higher ticket price for a better sound experience. Right. And that definitely, for some movies, it's totally worth it. Surprisingly... The Revenant, which one of the things you talked about is seeing that movie, and you never really noticed sitting in a movie quite like that, where it felt like you were sitting in the middle of a forest because you right. were like hearing like a frog or hearing, you know, sure. just hearing like little, little tiny little nuance like chirps and stuff, like the rustling of trees or whatever. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, like it's going to be, it's, but I have a feeling it could, um, that might take off more so than 3D because there is already. Um, there, there's already a, a niche behind great sound in film. You can't really get an Oscar for best 3D, but you can get an Oscar for best sound mixing, sound editing. True. So you already have the talent and you already have the backing for great sound. And honestly, if you're seeing a movie like The Revenant or if you're seeing something like Star Wars, uh, where you know you're going to be immersed in this other uh, interestingly sounding world... It might be worth spending a couple extra bucks to go see it on a larger screen and with Dolby Atmos surround sound or IMAX surround, you know, whatever, you know, is going to be super popular later on in the future. But um, I'd also be a little bit sad to see uh, 3D go because whenever I did see Scorsese's The Invention of Hugo Cabret, whenever I did see... Cameron's Avatar, and all those came out within a couple years of one another, mm-hmm. I was blown away by 3D because they crafted that 3D to be a part of the story and the experience. And I and I would argue that um, despite Scorsese's Hugo not doing super-duper amazing well in the theaters, oh, I, yeah. I agree yeah. that, yes... When you have a movie that is designed with 3D in mind and therefore produced with 3D, um, then yeah, the, your, the results are so much better and it makes the uptick in cost worth it. 
But like you mentioned with the Atmos and the IMAX around, people are paying to upgrade the theaters because the sound, the sound engineering is so much more, I mean, it's just worth it. And I guess for whatever reason, that maybe because it's just, I don't want to say, I don't, I'm going to use the word easy. It is easier for sound, not because it's simple, but because it's something that's already, um, it's something that's already innate to the film that is, um, that has less obstacles for production and reproduction. Sure. Visually, that's, I mean, it's a lot more technically difficult. Uh, because you only have to go and do, um, with sound, you have one set of microphones, right? Now you can just upgrade that one set of microphones. Uh, when you go to this, when you go to the movie theater, you can just upgrade one set of speakers, right? Um, a lot of times with visuals, uh, you gotta upgrade every single projector, every single screen, provide the, the, for 3D, provide every single different kind of, um, viewing device, so all the different goggles and the well. Then you take home glasses, theater experience into 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 consideration. Well, I was going to say in an introspection, but <laughs> yeah, but with the home theater, I mean, like TVs. I mean, you have uh, you have the sound bar here, right? But like uh, like TVs. Even the speakers in the TVs are getting better. Right. Sound bars. I mean, at at Sony, I've been involved with a lot of uh, testing of Sony speakers. Those are going to be amazing. So for a set amount of, uh, of uh, I mean, at, at least for some consumers, spending $800 on a, on a sound bar that produces immersive sound mm-hmm. for a space like this is absolutely worth it. You don't, but with 3D, if you want to hassle with 3D, you have to worry about lighting. You have to worry about your couch being a specific distance away from your TV. Right. Um, you can run into that problem as well with sound because with the sound bar, what I found out by some of these technicians when they're designing these sound bars, the best place to sit is in the middle of your couch and, and facing, like being in the middle of the speaker. But right. we all know that that's not how we watch shit. Like we're off to the side. We're laying down on the couch. We have families. So all the family sitting on the couch. So at least with sound, they're able to tweak their designs to make it more immersive taking the entire room into consideration. Right. Unlike 3D, where it's te- you really have to be right in front of your TV to fully uh, have that and, yeah. experience. And then again, it, uh, with with the sound, you can wire your house for uh, surround sound and stuff like that. And generally, because people pretty much set a room, their, their living room, a certain way, and rarely, if ever, change it, one-time installation of the speaker is wherever they need to go, you know, and and that kind of stuff. So I can see why they would want to make why they would want to make the investment in the sound, but not the 3D. So then I guess that would uh, lead very naturally. What a wonderful uh, segue into an IGN article here that I have. Not right now. Not right now. <laughs> You're cute. You're cute, but I can't play tug of war right now. Not right now. Not right now. Yeah, Luther Luther wants to play. 
let's see here. By way of Joe Scrabbles, the U.S. theater. Let's see here. U.S. theaters see lowest audiences for 23 years. U.S. theater industry saw audiences drop to their lowest level since 1995 and 2017, but higher ticket prices meant overall revenue dropped only 2%. In a report put together by the MPAA per variety, last year saw 1.24 billion tickets sold, a 6% drop on 2016's attendance levels. However, ticket prices cushioned that drop, bringing in $11.1 billion over the course of the year. It's also worth pointing out that 2016's $11.6 billion was a record high for the industry. By comparison, home entertainment spending rose 11% to $47.8 billion, primarily because of video streaming services. Streaming service subscriptions rose 33% to $446 million. Uh, the unrivaled theatrical success story of 2018 so far has been Black Panther, which recently overtook Jurassic World to become the fourth highest grossing movie in U.S. history. But it may face some competition from Marvel's stablemate Avengers Infinity War when it arrives on April 25th in Australia, April 26th in the U.K., and April 27th in the U.S. And that is the article in its entirety. It was a very short article. Thoughts on that there, Tim? Doesn't surprise me. I mean, what's dominating theaters these days are Marvel movies, action movies, uh, animated, family-friendly movies. And those are all the type of movies that uh, promote higher ticket cost. And more people will go and see a lot of these movies at night when tickets are, you know, they're paying a premium. Right. If they are spending, uh, these would be the movies that are utilizing 3D and people would pay for the 3D ticket to see them in 3d sure but um, it looks like but it looks like judging from the 3d article that oh sure people are yeah shifting towards right you know if i'm gonna have to spend 70 dollars to go to the movie on friday night right. it looks like we're not gonna see it in 3d instead exactly but if they were gonna choose to see a 3d movie they'd probably go see black panther in 3d true you know over the post in 3d you know not, <laughs> that doesn't exist but you know um, but yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Unfortunately, my view is a little skewed being in L.A. to where I can go see a movie like uh, um, a, a movie that I put on a list for a future show, uh, but it's called the uh, I, I like it so much. I forgot. The, oh, the death of Stalin. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that came out in L.A. months ago, and I saw it. I saw it a, a month and a half. Shit, has it been two months already? Packed. Audience was packed. Go back last month to go see something at the same theater, and show sold out. So it's packing that, you know, 100 and 200-seat theater. Right. A movie like that, you come out here, and I highly doubt the theater is even half full, you know? Right. So my I, my my uh, my viewing of that's a little skewed. Well, sure. So. It, much, as, much as, you know, um, you can... Go. You can walk out the door here and find ten thousand barbecue joints uh, interspersed with, uh, you know, Tex-Mex joints. Right, right, right. But out in out in L.A., there's like four barbecue joints, and the Mexican restaurants out there are not Tex-Mex. They're actually, you know, they're they're Mex-Mex. either Mex. Yeah, they're either Mex-Mex <laughs> or they're uh, Pacific Mex. Yeah. Right. Seafood. Yeah, which is more yeah. seafood based. Baja Peninsula style. There's more of the Oxa, the, what's the OAX, 
uh, Mexican food, the Oxicana Mexican food. I'll buy that, sure. Sure. Uh, <laughs> mole, the mole, a lot of mole Mexican food. Right. And, and so, mole. yeah, and so it's, you know, and then to find a really good Tex-Mex restaurant in L.A. is like. Oh, and it's not Tex-Mex. Yeah. Right. But yeah. but there are like one or two, right? Sure, because there are, you, yeah. You know, yeah. and so it, it becomes the same thing. So some of it's regional, but I also think that a lot of it has to do with the film industry being it, well, yeah. heavily, not entirely, not in its entirety anymore, but still yeah. heavily based out well, of it. All the Oscar voters and the award season voters are out there. Sure. I mean, that's why, I mean, a lot of these movies get shown and it's, they open up in New York and LA or they open up in New York and they open up in LA. But, you know, if you're going to go see something in advanced a month or weeks before it gets wide release, it'll open up there. I mean, it's like Isle of Dogs. It's technically getting its wide release, I think, on... It, Speaking like, of... Speaking of Isle of Dogs, we've got our own dog bumping the mic here. Sorry. <laughs> that, and that technically, I don't think that's even opened up wide yet. Or maybe today is the day it opens up wide. But it's been out in L.A. for two months. Right. You know, and they show it. I mean, they've already had it here playing, you know, for a little while in a couple theaters. But it's also fun seeing something at the Landmark or the prestigious Arclight expensive-ass theaters out there. And then going to the suburbs like uh, Torrance even, or even Santa Clarita and going to like the AMC movie theater malls and seeing kind of like the art house movies there because the silo, I mean, those bring in people still, but then right. it's like you have the prestigious families that bring in their kids <laughs> and, 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 uh, and Al who lives in the cul-de-sac who wants to come and see this prestigious art house movie with a right. prestigious friend or something and show up drunk to go see it. You know? Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but, course, so, yeah. I mean, it's, it's fun seeing the dynamic of that, at least. But, um, yeah, I'm not surprised that attendance isn't as high. I mean, I, are you surprised, though, that Black Panther is the fourth highest grossing movie? I mean, I was surprised that Jurassic World was the highest grossing movie, mainly because I didn't think that movie was great. Because I just thought it was on a roll because of the Jurassic Park nostalgia kick. I think... I I think that to ignore the fact that it has that Black Panther hit a perfect cultural touchstone in that the truly black experience of being able to go to a movie and have it be about you but combined combined with the fact that it is an absolutely good movie you are finally seeing and and it, what it's done is it's it is literally turned into its own juggernaut it's got something that says to people who right wrong and different purely ignorant you know assuming all good thoughts who wouldn't have expected something of that subject matter or style to be relevant to them, opening their eyes to being like, holy crap, not only is it relevant, you know, to me in terms of great superhero movie and good movie making overall, but wow, look at all of this culture that I've never been exposed to, or I didn't, I didn't fully appreciate the value of. Sure. Which then spreads worldwide and has everybody going, well, have you seen Black Panther yet? 
And it's not, it's no longer a, uh, well, did you see it because you are, you know, did you see it because, uh, or I'm sorry, did you not see it for any kind of racial reason? No, it, now it turns into, you haven't seen this amazing movie yet? And it just, it literally combined that great cultural touchstone with great movie making and everybody wants to go see it. So it doesn't surprise me. I think that, that has helped Black Panther succeed where movies like Wrinkle in Time have fizzled. Um, and, you you know, you, you, I don't think you're going to be able to stop this one uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I, what I think will be interesting to see is, will this be the superhero movie that cracks the Oscars beyond a technical level? Will it get something for like script, uh, a screenplay? Will it get something score, something like that? Something beyond just special effects. Um, now, I'm not arguing whether or not it deserves it. Can we? Like we can argue. Get out. Get out. Argument two. <laughs> get out. Argument two. No, no. Seriously. No, seriously. <laughs> I, I don't. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to. Um, uh, but I, but, I, but put I, forth anything yeah. other than. Will this be the one that that cracks it? But if because, if it's not, it's it's at least progressing towards that. Like maybe n- not this one. Because what's awesome? What I re- okay? I I really like Black Panther. I thought it was a good movie. Sure. Now is it also another Marvel movie? It yes. definitely is. Yes, it is. That's why. That's ma- the main reason why I hope it doesn't get nominated for script or any of that shit. Because it, I personally don't think it doesn't deserve it. But. Because this is a good movie, and because of it being um, uh, uh, just all they're all around different in a in in every good way, that I'm hoping this will lead to something else, not in the realm of Marvel, but maybe another franchise, uh, whether it be a black superhero or anything like that, to where that that can grow and be its own thing, and not have to be completely. Or not not having to succumb to all the Marvel movie tropes or anything like that. Sure. And again, my my I guess my thinking is is that you can argue that the Academy's history of things running running away with nominations or wins that didn't deserve it is um, is is sometimes pretty obvious and. Um, we get movies occasionally that don't deserve their nomination or sometimes don't deserve their win that, that end up being that little, that, that wedge that cracks the door open, that gets the floodgates open, that lets the real movies that otherwise, that, that lets later movies that otherwise wouldn't have gotten the notice or the attention to now be, con- become contenders for real. And that's, that is where my thinking is on, could this movie be that? I, I agree in terms of it's still at its heart, despite all of the great things that it's doing. You're right. It's still a Marvel movie. You'll note I gave it, I think it was, a, a, I think it was a three, three and, and a half. half. I yeah. think I gave it a three and a half. And I gave it um, a 3.75. <laughs> because I was really hard on the story. Sure. Even by Marvel standards, I was 
I wouldn't say miffed by the story, but disappointed because they did so many things so damn well in that movie that we're just going to plop it down to, no, I deserve the throne. What? I mean, clearly we could do better than that. Sure. But we have movies, uh, 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 the easiest one in the last 15 years is Crash, right? Crash runs off with all these awards and people are like, wait, what the fuck is that movie again? Because looking back on it, there were a lot better nominees that year. And and so I wouldn't be angry. I'm not saying it should be nominated for Best Picture or anything. But I wouldn't be upset with with it just, again, opening the floodgates or just putting that wedge in the door for something like, uh, a, I don't know, supporting actor or supporting actress. Maybe a, a, a screenplay only because I'm trying to think of non-technical ones where you could make some kind of a justification and i wouldn't be a fan of it getting i don't think it deserves screenplay we just i just knocked the story i can't <laughs> see, I, I, well i think my issue so, well i think my problem with that is now we're running into like our biggest issue my biggest or it seems like most of our issues with marvel movies is uh, it's pretty much the same story the same uh, villain tropes sure trying to build a superhero story so if we look at this movie for being unique uh, being a little different from the other Marvel movies because it's focusing on a, a black character, a, a different race outside of privileged white or working class white. If we give it something or even acknowledge it by saying, you know what, this deserves a best writing credit or best writing uh, nomination because, you know what, it's representing a different culture. But the you know, the writing is still pretty much like all the other Marvel movies. Why why give it this nomination when we didn't give it to Captain America Winter Soldier or any of the other ones where we said, you know what, this is not a bad Marvel movie. It's actually significantly better than all the other ones. Right. But it's still another Marvel and that's that's what I don't sure. want to happen. And and don't get me wrong, I don't at the same as much as I want for they're to, I guess, for superhero movies in and in and of themselves to get a break. Like I was happy with Logan's nomination last year. Oh yeah, um, I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, I, now, and I, that, I, that's significantly different. It was. Than, it was. Yeah. It was significantly, and it also, again, strictly speaking, not a Marvel movie per se. No, it, and it's significantly uh, so it's a Marvel character. I mean, yeah, it's it's yeah. A, it's a Marvel character, but it's not a Marvel yeah. universe MCU movie. And I don't think it deserved its win, but I was happy with its nomination. I, I don't want something like Black Panther uh, to be politicized. And I don't want it to be something that, be that oh, it only got a nomination just because. No, no, no. I don't want for that necessarily. But I, I don't want it to be dismissed as simply something that printed money. Oh, and sure. I'm worried sure. and I'm worried that that's the avenue it's taking. Uh, because it, it, I mean, it is. It, it's you. You well, I mean, have to kind of ask a question of the academy at a certain point. Art for art's sake and good art differentiating itself from art for art's sake is important and should be noted and should be celebrated. I agree. But when the highest fucking grossing movie of the year you're in. Is what a literally bankrolls the ability for your art for art's sake and art that is well done separating itself from that. Should it have a voice in that 
pantheon of of award. And I I want to say to a certain extent... There's other awards for that. I mean, there's the People's Choice Awards. There's, you know, the Nickelodeon Kids Awards. I mean... Because then, then if, if that's the case, then we have to start looking at uh, like Transformers. No, and again, I, I don't, or even even Alice, like the first Alice in Wonderland, when that movie came out, it was one of the top grossing. I mean, I, it might have been number two after Avatar. No, I and, no and again, I, I don't. I guess I guess to that to that end, and again, I, I'm sure it probably got Oscar nominations for uh, visual effects. Uh, yeah, and, stuff and makeup. Like that. Yeah, and makeup. Right. right. I guess I just don't want I don't want those movies and these movies to be relegated to the printing money for the plebeians. Right? But what's good is that it's not. But like kind of like with uh, maybe to a lesser degree of, of Get Out, it's starting a conversation about right. and the what progression I, of sure. And you know, what I would like to be able to see is for the fusing of. A money-making movie like Black Panther or Guardians of the Galaxy or uh, Get Out or what have you to become something fused with Shape of Water, um, three billboards, sure. you know, something like that, where you go, holy crap, not only is this movie fun, exciting, big moneymaker, but it, for once... It's really, really good. And if all we ever do is take movies like Black Panther or any of the Marvel movies, it doesn't have to be Black Panther, any of the Marvel movies, movies like that, Transformers and stuff, and only put them in the awards shows like Nickelodeon Kids, uh, you know, show or um, the Saturn Awards or something like that, then you by definition negate the possibility of them being taken seriously enough to get into that awards class. Well, we've seen big, epic, money-making movies win Oscars. The most recent one, uh, I mean, look at Lord of the Rings. All three of them were nominated for Best Picture. The third one won the most Academy Awards, tying with uh, uh, Titanic. and And, And that was also 16 years ago. Well, true. No, it is. It is. But but then, but you also look at big budget movies have changed. Now we're there. Uh, um, I mean, other than Marvel movies, we have movies like Transformers, stuff that are popcorn, oh, yeah, yeah. Fast and the Furious movies. That's what big budget movies are catering towards. Uh, even the Pacific Rims, that you know, great action scenes. But let's face it, it's not that great you know, character interactions or character building or any of that stuff. No, and I agree. And, and, and the type of Lord of the Rings stuff is going more towards TV, literally going towards TV now that Amazon is adapting Lord of the Rings again into like five seasons of retelling that same story. Oh, goodness gracious, I guess. But it's fascinating, though. It's, it's very interesting because I definitely agree with you. I would love to see... Um, something like Black, uh, Black Panther being good enough to uh, be a big awards contender, contender, but I also don't want it to run the risk of not necessarily being politicized, but it getting that nomination strictly for for being yeah for, no, for political sake. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I, I get yeah. it. I get it. Yeah. All right, that should probably end the news because good God, did we end up talking a lot? We did. Although, we did. Even with any clever editing that may or may not be able to be done, uh, not done. 
Yeah, we definitely got a lot to talk. We we got a lot talked about there. So uh, that's going to go ahead. We'll go ahead and end the news and and subsequently end our episode here, part one of Tim in Texas. Uh, And uh, I guess we'll go to uh, the spiel. Will we not? Spiel on. You can eat shit for all I care, Miss Sandstone, or eat anything that you like, or do anything that you like. Just don't assume that I want to know your troubles. Now, if you wouldn't mind, I'm a busy woman with a full day's work ahead of me. Please remove yourself from my office. You're a real cunt, do you know that? A real fucking cunt. How can you be so shitty to people? How can you stand yourself? I guess there's just two kinds of people, Miss Sandstone. My kind of people and assholes. It's rather obvious which category you fit into. Have a nice day. Eat the bird, bitch! Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLSCast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at Nitwit12345. You can, of course, climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio, as well as track us down on the old sound cloud so until next week this is matt saying the thanks to terry gilliam i get to say this hyperbole is something i'd like to avoid take care cinephiles and we'll talk at you again next week madam perhaps we should be going oh very well monsieur thank you so much so nice to see you and I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.